Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. You know, sometimes we feel that we need to be perfect. I know that resonates with a lot of us. Why? Why do we always feel that we have to do everything exactly right? It has to be perfect. I'm not talking about just doing it right. I'm talking about above and beyond. Maybe that's pleasing others. Maybe it's ourselves to make sure that we're perfect so that we we present ourselves in a certain way to others. Perfectionism is what we're going to dig into today. How do you deal with that? How do you move past it? I can totally relate to it. I know that he can. He helps a lot of people with that and so much more as a clinical psychologist. He's a professor. He's a speaker all around the country and then some. And he's the guy behind the Neurodiversity Collective. Dr. Matt is with us. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Well, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. And I can really relate to this topic. And I never realized it until a few years ago when I found an old newspaper clipping of me when I was 17. And I, I love to draw cartoons. I know that you're into cartooning as well. And they had a display at the public library. So the local paper did a story on me. And there's a quote. It's literally on the wall in, in my office about, I don't know, eight feet away from me right now, maybe 10. And it says, I'm a perfectionist. And it never clicked into me that I was until I read those words. I said them yeah. to the reporter back in the day. Again, I was 17. But then it, 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 it resonated. What, what? Oh, I do try to make everything perfect. Why am I doing that? I have my reasons. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm spot on in that. But why do you think people do that in general? Well, I mean, you know, it, it all comes down to the fact that our bodies are hardwired to protect us from pain. Mm. You know, I mean, that's what, that's what we're all about, right? Our anxiety systems, our sympathetic nervous systems, it's, they're all threat detection systems. They're like, I, my job is to keep this person's body safe, their brain safe, so I'm going to monitor that environment for things that are threats and trying the things that I can control, like, for instance, you know, how hard I try or how well I do with something. Well, I know that being perfect feels a lot better than not being perfect. So I should just try and be perfect every single time, right? Because it's it it seems like it's easy. You and and yeah. you always have a goal. You always have yeah. a goal. Let, yep, I'm just gonna be perfect. I'll make it I'll yeah. make it perfect. Yeah. And mm. and and on the surface, that goal makes a lot of sense, right? It's it's protective, it's who doesn't want to hold high standards, all that good stuff, right? But if you, if you dig in just a little bit, there are a lot of things we do that can't be perfect, right? Have you ever done a perfect podcast? Um, <laughs> I, you know, no, nothing is ever perfect. You know, I can no, always, right? I can always pick it apart, but I think the difference is once you realize it, you let it go. You say, uh -huh. it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. It doesn't. And, and back in the day, these types of things, I would think about them. I would overthink them. Like I got to be, oh, yeah. I got to be prepared. I have to know what I'm talking about. Uh, where's this going to go? How am I going to start? How am I going to end? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Now yeah. I don't even think about it. I just do it. And you it, just do it. it's, yep. one, it's wonderful that way. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. It's authentic. Well, and I mean, you know, in, in a very real way, this connects a lot of the stuff you and I have been talking about, 
right? I mean, authenticity, resiliency, emotional awareness. I mean, perfectionism is sort of ties into all of those things. Mm. It really you know? is. It, you know, yeah. that, now that you say that, I didn't think of it that way, but it really is. Hmm. I I will tell you why I believe that I went down the uh, perfectionism road. And I didn't tell you initially because I wanted to, to hear your, your take on it. Uh, oh, boy. And, oh, no, no. And, and it's perfectly in line with what I'm saying. Yeah. When I'm, yeah. where, how I got here. Um, I was bullied as an elementary school kid and, uh-huh. and into junior high. I was like the big fat kid. And, them, and my parents got divorced even before that. So there was that feeling of I'm not good enough. You know, as a kid, you internalize that. Your parents split up. Well, it must be me. Um, yep. And then, then got bullied. And then all of that, you know, confidence and, and, and all of that. I always try to make things perfect. Even when I would draw, I can't tell you how much paper I wasted because oh, yeah. it had to be perfect. And in, in reality, every drawing looked about the same. But in my mind, mm, I, could, I, I, I yeah. know I could do it a little bit better. Uh, and I, I really think I wanted to be a cartoonist, like syndicated. I really think I didn't because I was too concerned about making it perfect. And I guess also what others would say, because when I, I did one that, yeah, this one, this one looks pretty good. It was great getting feedback when people would say, hey, this is really good. So I, that's, that's how I believe that the perfectionism thing started in me way back in the day. I mean, absolutely, you know, and, you know, I mean, in the sense that you and I have a lot of things in common, right? Like, I was also a chubby kid. I was also huh. bullied. I also draw cartoons. Um, and it's funny because for as, as good as I am at drawing cartoons, I've never been particularly good at caricature because caricature, I think too much. I'm like, well, it, it can mm. always look more like this person, yep. right? And my mentor was, you know, said to me once, he's like, listen, like caricature is about taking a person and exaggerating parts of them. Yep. You're not drawing a portrait. If you were drawing a portrait, you would be approaching it very differently. Like, you know, caricature is part of the fun, right? It's how quick it is. You know, you do a caricature in five minutes, maybe, you know, 10 minutes on the outloads because people aren't going to sit that long. Yep. So you, you know, you get your markers, you get your, usually your, right? And, you know, you put out a reasonable facsimile of somebody. Yep. And they go, oh, man, that's awesome. But your brain goes, oh. Their nose is bigger than that, or oh, I didn't get their hair right, or 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 or, mm-hmm. you know. And it's one of those things that, you know, I was doing a, a caricature event. Um, my sister runs a school in um, in Connecticut for underprivileged kids, and I was volunteering my time there, drawing caricatures at their big like fundraising fair. And you know, a lot of their a lot of their students are African American, so I'm drawing a lot of African American kids with African American hairstyles that I have never really drawn before so i'm just winging it right i'm i'm in the zone i'm i'm just doing the best i can and kids are coming up to me being like this is amazing you got me and i remember thinking to myself like i am the whitest guy in the world right like i must be halfway decent at this if i am edging into these into these waters into these things that i don't have a lot of experience with right and it really came out the other side it's like a pretty you know, a pretty remarkable transformative experience that, you know, you know, I am the experience of me out in the world is a lot different than the experience I have of me in my own head. And it's funny when I try to draw caricatures, 
the noses all come out the same. I mean, some, <laughs> some could be bigger, some could be smaller, but that's my style. So, yeah, yeah I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, do you feel? Do you feel that you've let a lot of the perfectionism go? It still shows up in in some aspects of my life. I mean, I think like a lot of anxiety based things, it never really leaves us, but we learn to live with it. Okay. Um, and the first, the first. Um, sort of reframe that I would offer today is perfectionism is not all bad, right? So what we do is we take perfectionism and we split it in half. There's maladaptive perfectionism, which is what most people think of when they think of perfectionism, right? The slavish, I can't stop working on this, it's not perfect, I'm not satisfied. And adaptive perfectionism, which is learning, growing, high standards, but learning from our mistakes, Right? So it is not bad to be perfectionist. It is, it is bad to be maladaptively perfectionist, right? So that's the term we use in the literature. So, and the one thing that all perfectionism, really all life has in common, is the concept of failure. So if you're out there, if you're drawing something, or if you're on a sales call, or if you're on a date, or if you're doing a stand-up set, or whatever it might be, and you make a mistake, the adaptive perfectionist goes, huh, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? How can I learn from this? How do I do it better next time? The maladaptive perfectionist says, well, I can clearly never do that again because I stuck at it. You know, nobody else makes mistakes, right? And, and down the rabbit hole we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I regret the perfectionism thing in some regards because I would always get on my kids, like if they ran through the hallways and they scuffed up the walls, it would be like, what, guys, calm down, what are you doing? Get because for, for two reasons, I got to take the time to fix them or paint them or whatever it might be. And the flip side is, in my mind, as I look back at it, I felt that if people came through my house and it was, you know, walls were scuffed up, I would be judged. But looking uh -huh. back at it, big mistake, who the blank cares? Well, what? Right. Like, get some paint out, you know, <laughs> whatever. But it was, it was also, I was dealing with a lot of stress, working a lot of different jobs, things like that. Um, taking on other responsibilities for career and things. Uh, so in my mind, I was like, I don't even have the time to fix that. Uh, right. but, but looking back, you know, you, you pick your battles. And I was, you know, why? Why did I even worry about that? Because it was perfectionism that was, you know, screaming in my head at that time. Oh, Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we know is that the more stressed out we are, mm. our bodies can seek to control what they can control. So if you've got all these different jobs and all these different responsibilities, the cleanliness of the walls in your home feels controllable. Yeah. It feels like that's a tangible thing that I can do versus, you know, navigating the, you know, navigating being a perfect parent or, you know, or being the perfect server or bartender or, you know, Uber driver or whatever it might be, right? But we tend to focus on small, tangible things because they make us, they give us that sort of fleeting sense of control. Yep. You know, like if you're worried about people coming over to your house for the holiday party, well, you don't know if you're going to be a perfect host. You don't know if the food's going to be any good, but you, <clears throat> you sure as heck know that, if the floorboards are clean, that's a thing you can do. That's a tangible, yep. concrete task. Yep, you're right. You're 100% right. <laughs> it's a, you, know, you know you've got that. So 
if the other stuff doesn't happen well, maybe people don't have a good time, the food's not good, uh, for whatever reason that may be, at least it's it's better than it would have been because that the place was clean, you know? Yeah. And then, I guess there's so many causes of perfectionism. Like, like we say, fear of not being approved, um, certainly OCD, people that are challenged by that are always looking to to be perf- perfect, I would assume, right? Yeah, I mean, OCD is in many ways, you know, so our, our brains have this, this circuit. It's the basal ganglia is the part of the brain, and that's our reward task completion circuit. Hmm. So you do a thing, our brain notice that we've done the thing, they give us credit for doing the thing, and then the loop closes. So in a brain that's functioning as it should, you know, that you're able to deal with the discomfort that comes with having a task unfinished or having a task finished not to quite the standard you would like. In a brain that's edged more into anxiety disorders or OCD, and OCD is an anxiety disorder, that loop is supercharged. So the amount of discomfort one feels with having the um, with having that that task unfinished becomes paralyzing, right? Mm. And OCD and perfectionism have a lot in common because they both indicate that basal ganglia reward loop, right? So, you know, if I'm writing a paper and my brain can't close the loop on it because it doesn't feel perfect, so therefore it doesn't feel done, I'm going to keep slaving away at that paper until my brain gives me whatever signal that that thing is good enough to be done. And one of the things that keeps us in that loop is that the, the discomfort that comes up with stepping away from, from a task that doesn't feel complete is that it's very unpleasant. Right? It's like, I don't like this at all. I don't want to deal with this, so I'll just keep working. I'll just keep charging at this. I'll just keep dealing with it until it feels okay. And most of the time, it's not a big deal. But when it comes to the point of, say, like, you know, to use the classic OCD thing, my hands don't feel clean. I have to keep washing them. My hands don't feel clean. I have to keep washing them. And you're spending 30, 40 minutes at a time in the bathroom washing your hands. That's when it's become something that's negatively impacting your life. And we need to see how do we readdress something like that. You brought up something here that, that now there's a lot that, that I believe clicks for all of us that perfectionism many times is task oriented because things we we set out to do if either they turn out well or they don't or they're acceptable we'll call it that it's all about the task that's what i'm hearing that's what i'm learning here i'm trying to think of all different scenarios where you could you know be perfect or want to be perfect and it's essentially a task even you know even a woman doing her hair that's yep. a task. <laughs> so yep. it seems that it's all task oriented. So I'm, I'm thinking things to remember would be make sure you, you identify when you successfully, I guess, deal with your, your, you know, perfectionism tendencies when you complete a task. Um, I, I don't know. What are some of the things that we, we should be doing, could be doing uh, to, to kind of deal with the perfectionism? Well, and, you know, I mean, the good thing is that not all tasks are created equal, yep. right? So, you know, the idea of maladaptive perfectionism can feel very overwhelming, very all-consuming. So, 
But if you do a sort of a self-evaluation and say, well, what are the things, what are the things that I'm doing that I just do, right? Like, are you perfectionist about putting the dishes away? Are you perfectionist about taking out the la- put, folding the laundry <clears throat> or taking out the garbage or a million other things? One thing that you, you can find very quickly is that perfectionism tends to rear its ugly head in the things that matter most to us, which is why neurodivergent people tend to get more perfectionism because of the intensity inherent in the neurodivergent brain. Because the more you care, the more things you will care about. And the things you care about, you likely will care about them more intensely. So it like sort of it flows in that direction. Um, but everybody has things that make that <clears throat> they're able to just do. So that, that provides your baseline. That's your, that's your floor. And, <clears throat> and then as we try and climb up that ladder towards something more, you know, more adaptive, we say, okay, like, what are the things that I, that are impacting my life the most when it comes to perfectionism? How do I deal with that? Right? If you're somebody who's like, I want to do better professional talks, you know, the first thing we say is that there is no perfect professional talk. You know, I mean, I watch a lot of TED Talks, right? My goal in life is to do a TED Talk. So if TED Talks, if you're listening to me, I would love to do a TED Talk someday. Um, you know, <laughs> and you'd be made, you'd be perfect at it. There you go. I appreciate that. Right. So you, you heard that Ted talk people see, we now I've got one person on my side. Um, you know, and I've watched Sir Ken Robinson a thousand times and Angela Duckworth's a thousand times and they're amazing. They're also not perfect. Right. And that's the thing. It's like you can, when you watch other people perform, you realize that success and perfectionism don't always go together. Mm. You know, I mean, if you're a sports person, right, you know, the best, the best performances, you know, like you think of like Michael Jordan's flu game, to pick an example, right? Michael Jordan was sick as a dog, right? He played really well despite the fact that he was super sick, right? He didn't shoot perfectly from the field. He didn't have zero turnovers, right? You know, it's the sort of thing. It's like when you look out at the world and realize how many different ways there are to be successful, it can provide that little sliver of daylight to say, well, if they don't need to be perfect, maybe I don't need to be perfect either. I love what you said in terms of watching others and realizing that they're not perfect. And nobody is. And that's what makes it so wonderful. Like, I, you know, I'm driving here today. And yeah, I have a meeting coming up a little bit later. Not a very important one, but you know, I, just, you know, I have jeans on, but, you know, nice shirt, whatever. Um, I look down at the jeans. I had them on last night as I was just about to barbecue. And I, I, uh, I changed them before I barbecued with my son. But then I realized, well, I've got a, I've got a stain from the barbecue on my, on my leg. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, something must have dripped on it. And I'm thinking my, my first thought, Oh no, oh, come on. And then I'm like, so what? Yeah. yeah. See if I can take it, you know, get it, get, get it, uh, wiped out. If not, oh, well, I can, it's, it's something to talk about. Hey, I was barbecuing last night and look, you know, <laughs> that, I'm sure that tasted pretty good there. Um, not, yeah. why worry about it? It's not worth right. worrying about, but it, but in the past, uh, I would be mildly freaking, you know, things like that, which is going to kind of, kind of set me off because it's not perfect. Yeah. And, Right, and it's the sort of thing, like, you can hear all those cascading automatic thoughts that might come from a realization like that. I'm such a slob. I'm such a space case. How did I miss this? Mm. Nobody else would miss this. Yeah. Right. 
you know, um, and it's, you know, <clears throat> I give a lot of talks, right, the thing you and I have talked about, and I usually wear a suit and tie. And when I was uh, teaching one of my college classes, um, I was talking about perfectionism, and I realized I had a stain on my tie. So I turned around, and I took my tie off, and I said, okay, guys, so there's something not perfect about my outfit today. What was it? And they're all looking at me, and they're all staring at me, and they're like, I don't know, like, does your belt not match your shoes? Um, I, I don't, and I was like, guys, I had a stain on my tie. And one of the kids looked at me, and she was one of my favorite students, and she looked at me, and she goes, you were wearing a tie today? And I wore a tie every day. Like, they never saw me without a tie, right? And it was this sort of foundational moment for me because I thought to myself, like, hold on a second, right? I talk to these 30 students twice a week for three hours, a, three hours at a time, and these kids see me all the time, and I'm super aware of the stain on my tie, and they didn't even notice that I was wearing a tie, right? So it's just our sense of ourselves, and the, the psychology term for this is the spotlight effect we feel like we're walking around with a head spotlight on us at all times, right? We are the stars of the show. We are Jean Valjean and Les Mis, right? And the fact of the matter is, is that we're all supporting characters, right? So if you realize that most of the time people won't notice, and if they do notice, most people are willing, even happy to accept a, a normal human explanation for something, then, then that means most of the time the little mistakes we make in life are, are neutral to even positive. And if anybody's going to make a, give you a hard time for having a stain on your tie or a stain on your jeans, then, then that says a lot more about them than it does about us. Exactly. Because it happens to yeah. all of us. It's, all, it's, 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 it's called life. And you know what? Yeah. It's, it makes us human and it makes us yeah. authentic because it's real. It all, you know, we all have those issues that come up from time yeah. to time. Uh, you know, like a zit on your nose, whatever. It's going to happen. So yeah. make the best of it. Have fun with it. I used to have a, I used to work with a, with a girl. Uh, I would do a morning show with her and she would even bring up on air that she has a zit, you know, on her face. It's like one of those days, I don't know what's going on. And we would joke about it. It's like, you know, I would say, you know, hey, if I was on a plane, I could see that. <laughs> it would yeah. just be fun um, because it was real. She didn't, she didn't really care because it was real. She was, you know, being authentic. Uh, but maybe that's what it comes down to, to get away from the perfectionism thing, to be authentic because perfectionism isn't our authentic self. It's the, the best possible version of ourself, I guess, I guess we would say. And, you know, and I would even slightly tweak what you said, because per perfection isn't <clears throat> always possible. So when we say it's the best possible version of ourselves, we sort of, you know, we, we like, you know, the old Lloyd Christmas thing. So you're telling me there's a chance, right? It's the most aspirational <clears throat> yeah. version of ourselves. I, right? I, I got you. And I probably should yeah. have clarified that and said the, yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a fantasy world, <laughs> you know, the best yeah. possible version of ourselves. Right. And, and like, and you might sound like I'm, being like sort of like a little bit pedantic here, but when it comes to reframing this stuff for our own brains, right, that's actually, that those are the little tweaks we have to make. That's kind of what cognitive behavioral therapy looks like and feels like. It's moving away from absolutes, like this has to be perfect. Well, it doesn't have to be, and what's perfect anyway, right? right. I would like it if it was really good. 
even those little changes give you a little bit more runway, a little bit more room to play in the sandbox. And when you do those things, then you have a little bit more grace to survive whatever tweaks and trials come your way. Yeah, uh, I love that. It's We really need to take a look at who we are. And I guess that it's really what it comes down to. What what Who am I? Because I ran for years not really knowing who I am. And, and uh, then on top of that, you put the layer of the perfectionism because you think that's who you are, but it's really not. Hmm. Interesting stuff to think about. See, that's why, that's why you're great doing what you do because yeah. you make us think, you know, kind yeah, well, of, right? it's, it's my job, right? I mean, that's <laughs> what I'm here to do, you know? And, you know, and one of my favorite talks, you know, I give all these talks, right? And I give two talks that consistently make people cry. <clears throat> the first one is my talk about imposter syndrome because mm. people never realize that they didn't have to feel this way. And then within the perfectionism one makes people cry because there's so much silent agony that comes with being a perfectionist. Yeah. You know, you are dying a million deaths and you're so stressed out and nobody sees it because they don't see the late nights, the chewed out fingernails, the 19 cups of coffee. They see the painting, they see the performance, they see the show and they think, oh, wow, it's pretty good. Right. So, and that's just enough positive reinforcement to keep you going. But, you know, but you've died a thousand deaths to get there. So the idea here is like, hey, this thing is not a character defect. It's not a, you're not broken. It's this part of your brain that is working too well. And it's a thing we call maladaptive perfectionism. Mm. And you can shift that from maladaptive to adaptive you know, by following some strategies and reframing how you think about it. But it gives people sort of a pathway out of the darkness. And, you know, and th- that can really be a beautiful moment. I didn't realize this until you said it, but I dealt with a lot of stress. We all do. But yeah. it gave me an ulcer, um, I don't know, like six years ago, which, you know, reoccurs with stress. Um, I believe part of that was because of the perfectionism thing. And mm-hmm. and I didn't I never thought of it. Never thought of it until you just said it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. The stress of being perfect so doesn't support you. Oh yeah. I mean I work with a, a young woman here in New Jersey who just got diagnosed with her third ulcer and she's eleven years old. <sighs> wow. Right. I mean that's just you know and I wish I had I wish I had gotten this case four years ago, right? When you know, maybe we could have gotten out in front of this, but I mean, now it's just all we can do is try and put the pieces back together a little bit. And, you know, she's a great kid. Her parents are understanding the role they play in her perfectionism. And we're working hard on that as a family. And I make them do all these mm-hmm. exercises that are things that can't be perfect. And then I make them stop before they're ready. And they, you know, they scream at me that, you know, around Thanksgiving, you know, we're doing a, a an exercise and dad got so agitated he cursed me out and he's like why would you do this you and i'm like yep yep good this is all healthy it's all part of the process wow and you know when he called me afterwards he was like i'm really sorry i'm like honestly don't worry about it first off that's not the first time i've been cursed out and it won't be the last and also it shows me that you care it shows me that you're engaging in this yeah right the idea here is like you know think if you think about life like a video game right when you are playing a video game and the, and the 
and the bad guys are getting more challenging and the music's getting faster and the layout's getting scarier, you're heading the right direction, right? Challenge means growth. And perfectionism, because of the interplay between this anxiety and that, you know, that flash of panic, it works really hard to keep us from facing growth because it's like, hey, that sucks. That's very painful. You don't want to do that. Just stay over here where it's safe. But the life we want is on the other side of that challenge, right? And perfectionism never wants us to go there because it's hard. You have to get worse before you get better. You have to break it down. So, you know, the idea here is don't think about yourself as <clears throat> through what we call top-down thinking. Top-down thinking is you're perfect and anything less than that is bad. Bottom-up thinking is the default here is I did zero. I did nothing. Every step I took is positive, something positively added, right? So I could have not tried to do the test at all and gotten a zero, or I could have made, my, made an effort on it and gotten a 37. Well, I'm not happy with a 37, but it's a shoot, it's a heck of a lot better than a zero, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, and then maybe you'd retake the test and you get a 70. Still not great, but it's a lot better than a 37, which is a lot better than a zero, right? That's bottom-up thinking. The top-down thinker goes, 37, oh, I suck. I, I got 63 points off. That, that is true. But that kind of thinking makes us feel worse, which makes it harder to move. So we, if we flip the script and do bottom-up thinking, that's how we become someone who can embrace that, that sort of adaptive growth mindset of perfectionism. You have an amazing way of making things come crystal clear. Um, and that's why you're fantastic at what you do. Because I've learned some things in myself today, even just talking for a few minutes with you, I can't imagine, you know, somebody that, you know, you work with on a regular basis, um, how so many things come clear and they connect the dots. You, um, you're available anywhere. If somebody uh -huh. needs some counseling, uh, I know that you also specialize many times with children and families. Is it as simple as just going to the neurodiversitycollective.com and, uh, and reaching out to you? Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to get me. In fact, I just got a, um, a message this week from somebody who heard me on a different podcast saying, like, can you come out to our school in Colorado, you know, when my schedule's free that day, so I'm going to fly out, I'm going to do a, you know, a three-hour evening event with them, you know, and then, you know, stay in a holiday inn, then I'm going to fly home, right? It's, you know, it's, it's a big part about what I do because we can get really granular in person. We can start to make this stuff tangible for who you are, what your community needs, right? So that's you know, and you mean this stuff is great, and if this, and I love that it's helping you, and you know, this is something I'm really passionate about, and I think all people can make can make their peace with these things, right? That's why we talk about them because we bring these concepts out of the darkness into the light, so more people can have more knowledge and thus more healing, right? That's what we're all about. But it's also applying it to your life, which I yeah. feel. Uh, many of us have done, even listening to these podcasts. I'm sure people, when you stumble upon it, and this this, this keywords where where it pops up, where people listen. Oh, wait, you know, I am. Why am I a perfectionist? Oh, I never thought of that. Oh, let me connect the dots, and and certainly the other stuff we talk to. Uh, Matt, you're amazing. Uh, always great talking with you, and uh, I'm putting it into the universe. 
I am looking forward to checking out your TED Talk in the very near future. Well, you'll be the first person I call when I get it. How about that? (laughs) I would appreciate that. Uh, And I will spread the word. The neurodiversitycollective.com is the website. Thank you so much for for these podcasts and, and all of your insights. You really are different in such a fantastic way in making it very understandable and not feel so clinical when we talk about this kind of stuff. Cause it's, we're all, we're just regular people. We just want to be happy and move forward and, and, and realize why we do what we do. And, and you do that in just a, an amazing kind of way. Well, it's been a pleasure from this side as well. Right. And you know, I, you create such a great space to have these conversations. And I mean, not everybody's comfortable with these topics about mental health. I mean, it gets messy. And so your vulnerability and bravery has created a space where we did, I think, some really awesome work. Oh, I appreciate that. Just, you know what? Be authentic. Be yourself. You know, (laughs) that's what you got to do. Thanks again. And uh, happy new year to you and and also your family. You take care of yourself, my friend. Uh, You too. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. It's now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.